today on Lawyers Rising. You know, if you're somebody who is just getting tired of having somebody else call the shots for you, opening your own firm can be great. Why you should and should not open a solo law practice. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm joined today by three members of the BCG Attorney Search Team. Nadine Weybrecht is a recruiter, Bree Mills is recruiting manager, and Harrison Barnes is the founder and chief executive. Hello to you all. Good morning. Good morning. So today we're going to talk about why you should or should not open a solo law practice. And um, maybe I'll just start off with that question. Maybe we can go around the horn right now uh, just with a, a quick uh, thought about uh, the pluses and minuses of opening a solo law practice. Yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a bit to it. I mean, it's not you know you can't just say there's there's pluses and minuses. I mean, you know, in, in a in a general sense, I think you. Can, but in a more general sense, I mean, I think that there's there's people that uh, you know feel like they need to rely on groups for their success and uh, and everything that comes with working in a group. And then there's people that feel uh, held back by groups and that the group may actually limit them and their ability to succeed. So. You know, an example would be, you know, if you're in a law firm and you feel like, uh, you know, that there's there's kind of an in crowd and those people are going to be in control of whether or not you succeed. And, uh, you know, you're never going to be at the level that they're seeking or the kind of person they're seeking. Or you don't want to wait for them to make positive decisions about you or you feel like they're limiting you or in, in some respect then you really need to, um, you know, think about, you could seriously think about going into, uh, you know, having your own uh, law firm and kind of the advantages of it. But the thing about having a, you know, your own law firm is that, you know, large law firms typically will, you know, have the ability to bring in, you know, giant clients and very, very important work and uh, lots and lots of work that can kind of keep you busy for a long time. So that's, you know, one of the things that I would say, you know, if you're if you're considering your own, you know, law firm that, you know, it's it, it's it's very dangerous because, you know, you may not have access to work and you are dependent upon other people, you know, and, and bringing in your own work is extremely difficult. And a lot of people think it's going to be easy, but, you know, it, it can be challenging and it can be, um, you know, very challenging for, um, you know, different types of people. I know of uh, several examples of you know, attorneys that were very, very successful in, uh, you know, major law firms, um, even ones that were, you know, partners and, and kind of, a, you know, and, and, and they struck out and, and tried to start their own practices and, and ended up failing in, in some cases very spectacularly. Um, and other people, of course, succeed. But, you know, if you're going to open your own practice, you definitely need a plan. And, um, and there's just, you know, there's lots and lots of problems with it. I mean, you need to know how you're going to get paid. You need to know, uh, you know, if you're going to have clients and what kind of clients those are going to be. You need to know, uh, you need to know, you know, what you're going to do to market yourself. And you also need to remember, especially if you've been an attorney that's in, in, been in a large law firm most of your career, that you know, once you start your own law firm, you know, you're going to be competing with a lot of people that are very, you know, um, you know, savvy in terms of getting paid and how to how to get business and. You know, because there's a big difference between how a solo practitioner tries to get business and operates and advertises and convinces clients to give them money and what um, a large law firm attorney does that's not part of that and not dealing with large corporations. I guess piggybacking a little bit off what Harrison was just saying that there are really good attorneys that are not good managers, not good business types. And when you think about 
running your own firm, you have to think about A to Z. You have to go out in the community, get the clients. So you're advertising, you're marketing, you're out at events. And and of course, to be members of certain associations, there's some cost investment there, both financially and then time-wise. And you have to be good at networking and getting those clients. And not just sort of one-off clients, but repeat clients who are going to be in it for the long haul, which can be difficult to do when you're just trying to establish yourself. And then, of course, you know, hopefully you bring in those clients and then you got to think about actually running the practice. So everything from the administrative side of billing the client and then making sure you actually get paid to having your phone set up properly, your printer, kind of all of the administrative tasks that are taken care of for you in an established firm, you're going to have to set up and then maintain and keep running. So thinking about whether you're actually good and willing to do all of the business side of the practice, in addition to being a good attorney who's going to continuously kind of provide that work product that's going to bring in the client. Um, So that's something to think about your personality type, your character, your nature in terms of are you willing to take all of that on and not just be a good attorney. You know, there's a lot of benefits, I think, to operating your own business. Um, first and foremost, just being able to kind of take charge of your own destiny. Um, can you just, anybody can jump in on this, but I'm just wondering, like, how important is that, uh, for some people anyway, to be able to uh, really call their own shots, not have to take orders from a boss? Like, I have to imagine that's one of the more attractive reasons why you'd want to start your own solo practice. Yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of attorneys um, start their careers in a law firm, and anybody who's worked in a law firm knows that there is so much sort of leveled hierarchy and bureaucracy and so many different layers of things you have to go through to get approval. You know, you don't really get the opportunity to be fully in charge of your, um, your, your caseload or the case strategy or all of that kind of stuff um, for a very long time. And even if you make it up the ranks, like at a big firm and become a partner, you know, it's still sort of not your own, you're not the one calling all of the shots. So I think a lot of attorneys, um, you know, go into law school and want to become lawyers and and have an idea of what that's going to be. And then the the reality of working a law firm does not, you know, it might be a little bit of a surprise. So I think a lot of attorneys wish they could kind of break out of that um, structure and be able to call their own shots and be in charge of their own destiny, like you said. So, um, you know, I think all the, all the, points of understanding what that might mean in reality and logistics wise that Nadine was just talking about are very important, but absolutely, um, you know, if you're somebody who is just getting tired of having somebody else call the shots for you, opening your own firm can be great. Harrison, you and I were just speaking the other day about the struggle of surviving the internal politics at uh, at law firms, especially big law firms. That is kind of goes away when you're out on your own um, and being able to kind of save yourself from all that internecine warfare, just on a like a psychological level, I have to imagine kind of getting out has to be extremely... Um, well, good for a lot of people, I can imagine. I think it is. But at the same time, you know, you need to understand that, you know, running a business and starting a business is a completely different thing than, you know, working in a business because, um, you know, you're responsible for, uh, you know, bringing in the work. And then you're also responsible for doing the work and the quality of the work and the, um, you know, and, and, and all the things that go along with it. And, um, you know, and then, in, in, in many cases, I mean, you know, and, you know, most cases, actually, solo practitioners and people that, you know, start their own firms will, you know, especially if they're coming out of large law firms, may make a lot less money, uh, you know, for several years after, you know, doing it compared to what they were doing when uh, they were working in a firm. But, 
you know, one of the things that I can say is that, you know, in, in terms of um, entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, people trying to run their own businesses, like I've been going to like business groups for, you know, for a long time and, um, and worked with business coaches and, and really the, the, the biggest um, audience for, for business coaches and for, you know, network business networking groups and so forth tends to be law firms because, you know, or people trying to run their own law firms because a lot of the, a lot of attorneys, you know, honestly have no idea um, how to do it. And, um, and they, and they get, they get in a lot of trouble and, uh, and they have a lot of difficulty getting paid and, uh, you know, holding on to clients. And, you know, I would say one of the biggest issues that a solo practitioner or even a small law firm will accept is getting paid. And I had a, um, a friend of mine whose dad operated a, a very successful um, tax practice in uh, Los Angeles for many years. And, uh, and he said that, you know, the, that if you get paid 60 to 70% of, you know, what you bill, uh, from your clients, you're, you're doing very well. And I thought that was very interesting. And, um, and you know, he was in his um, late 60s. And since that time, he's gone to work for um, a large law firm in Los Angeles. He, he, he stopped his solo practice after having operated it for, you know, uh, over 30 years and, um, and ended up going back to a law firm because he didn't want the hassle of the, you know, the billing and the, and the collection and the, uh, you know, it, and all the stuff that goes along with it, because if you're with a larger law firm, I, you know, for whatever reason, you know, people are, are less likely to push you around. They're less likely to question your bills. They're more likely to trust your work. You're less likely to get sued for malpractice. You're less likely to, um, you know, you're more likely to get help. And so a lot of, you know, solo practitioners will actually willingly give up, uh, you know, the freedom that they have inside of, a, a, you know, having their own practice in order to. Uh, work in law firms is something that that I think is very interesting. But at the same time, I mean, I do believe that the uh, the reasons for wanting to to go to have your own law firm are, are very very um, powerful, and they're and they're they're good reasons, uh, you know. But unfortunately, you know, most attorneys that I see do it, at least ones that I've known from large law firms, uh, don't stick with it. I mean, they don't, they don't open their own practice and stick with it. Most of them don't. Nadine, is it possible that, you know, Harrison was just talking about, um, wanting to go start your solo practice. Is it also possible that there's kind of no other choice for some attorneys for whatever reason? Um, maybe they're in a remote area or they have some other maybe personal problems. Example, I don't want to be too derogatory on those people that start solo practices, but, um, can you talk a little bit about that, about kind of having to go start out a, a solo practice? Cause there really aren't any other options for it? Sure. So as recruiters, we talk every day, of course, with looks, folks looking to make a move. And, and whenever I talk with people who are either currently solo practitioners or at some point did have a solo practice and left or want to leave that, it's oftentimes because they didn't necessarily have a, a great option, a great alternative. So maybe they didn't go to the best law school and they didn't do so well at law school and, of course, then didn't have a chance to go to to any firm potentially or, or a strong enough firm that they deemed kind of um, worth it. So maybe it was their academic performance. Um, and, and, of course, you mentioned about where they live, maybe if it's in a remote area and they don't have access to big companies, big firms, then there really isn't another option. Um, it could be sometimes ageism. Every day we talk with really kind of senior folks who were great attorneys, were at big law firms, but then they're sort of aged out. 
um, and they really want to continue practicing. So they kind of just go off and, and hang up their own shingle and try to take um, some of the clients with them or, or kind of go off on their reputation. And then, like you also mentioned, there could just be sort of an issue with that particular attorney who could actually be a great attorney, but just sort of needs to work on his or her own terms. Maybe they don't, um, they're not able to get up early enough and get in the office every day. And maybe they're working at four in the morning, kind of doing their own thing from the house. So a, a traditional law firm or corporation or a government position isn't going to work for them, um, but they can kind of keep it going in a solo practice. So sometimes when other doors are shut, you kind of find yourself inevitably having to hang up your own shingle and going from there. Bree, I know your husband uh, in the last few years struck out on his own to start his own practice. And it occurs to me that you you learn a lot in law school about how to be a lawyer, but you don't learn a lot about running your own business. And I just wonder um, about that learning curve, about becoming a business person as well as becoming a lawyer. Is that a difficult transition to make? It's interesting to see how he has done it. Um, and I, I wouldn't want to sort of extrapolate from him and, and apply it to, to all sort of solo practitioners across the board, um, because I think think he has had a bit of a distinct experience. Um, he certainly had to learn about, you know, being the one to, to now be sending out the bills and collecting the bills, as we've kind of discussed, which is a big difference in that he has got to foot all the costs. Um, but the actual sort of business side of it, it's been interesting for him because he's not actually done a whole lot of a lot of what other people have to do to strike out on their own with like intense marketing and networking. And he's he's been able to build things up rather um, organically from, from contacts that he's had um, <clears throat> in the you know, from his past experiences at law firms and people that he's met in that capacity. But uh, I mean, certainly, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is is stuff that he has to deal with on a day-to-day basis of doing all the actual admin work. I mean, he doesn't have anybody working for him. So he is a once, he is absolutely the only person on the hook for everything. So he's got to do all aspects of the of the firm, which like really does take away some of the time that he has from actually practicing law because he's just got to be doing all that administrative work. Um, but I think I think the biggest lesson to be learned, and I think this is really common and an important lesson for anybody opening solo practice, is picking your cases well and picking your clients well. Um, I think a lot of solo practitioners go out there and they learn the hard way that they just think, okay, anything that comes my way, I'm just going to take it. I want to build my book up. I want to have, you know, I want to stay busy. If I'm not busy, like, let me take on whatever I can find. And that will absolutely come and bite you in the butt because, um, if you have a feeling about it, you know, especially for, for example, taking a case that another attorney is fobbing off, like you don't want to take a case that another attorney has already said that they don't want to work on. And that is a big red flag that there's probably an issue with that client. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of people end up taking cases as they come their way and not really using their gut instinct and making the decision, is this good or is this bad? Because what you end up doing is spinning your wheels, spending a whole lot of time working for that client, um, potentially not getting paid, having to have answer text messages and phone calls on weekends and just completely having a candidate, a client rather, who's not, uh, who's sort of taking advantage of you and, and being very needy. Um, and it just becomes a real nightmare and a headache to deal with. And I, so I think that is probably the, the lesson every solo practitioner learns at some point the hard way. Um, and it can be a really hard thing to stick to because if you're not busy and something comes your way and you're just like, well, I don't have a whole lot else going on. I might as well try it. 
um, you know, that, that can be a very dangerous mindset to get into. So let's talk a little bit more about um, and put, kind of underline one of the points that came up earlier about kind of the administrative part of operating your own business. In, in Harrison, you've hired a lot of people over the years. It's a skill that takes some time to be able to uh, to get good at, to be able to surround yourself with quality people. And if you're out on your own, you're probably going to need some help, uh, other admin help or, or other kinds of help. Can you talk a little bit about that, about kind of developing that skill of identifying who are going to be uh, good members of the team and maybe who won't be? Well, you may not always need people, and a lot of solo practitioners don't want people to even help them. Uh, you know, a lot of them are very help, you know, happy just being completely on their own. And, uh, you know, so that's, uh, you know, one of the first things, uh, you know, but, the, you know, the what most people think of when they have a business, and this isn't always the best way of thinking about it, but is that you need to grow, 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 and that you need to kind of, you know, have this, you know, huge group of people and, and, and that sort of thing to help you. And, and that's certainly, uh, you know, how I thought at one point, uh, you know, with, with this company. I mean, at one point, I think we had over 800 people working here, uh, you know, and, and that seemed to me like that was what you needed to do. And it's not, you know, having a good business is, is not necessarily about having a lot of people all the time. It's about, you know, designing something you know, where you're comfortable and happy. So that's kind of the first thing. Um, the next thing is that, uh, you know, you, you, you know, if you do hire people, you know, it, it, that that's kind of where a lot of the conflict comes. I mean, most, you know, most partnerships when, when anytime I've seen, uh, you know, solo practitioners get into partnerships or other business people I know get into partnerships, you know, and that would be like bringing out a single partner or something, um, a lot of times, you know, there's going to be a lot of conflict around that. And so, you know, people need definitely need to go through multiple. Uh, we'll also have, you know, lots of fallout and breakups. And, you know, you can see partnerships just breaking up all the time. And those can be very unpleasant because people will fight about money. They'll fight about direction. And then and then you get kind of in the same thing you were when you were if you were working for someone that didn't like working in a law firm, then it becomes you know, can become working with a partner you don't like, or, you know, you may work with a partner you like and bring on another partner. And then the two partners don't like one of the partners and it just kind of goes round and round. So that's another thing. So, you know, another thing I would say is when you're picking partners, if you, that's the direction you want to go after opening a solo that you need to learn how to be very careful about that. Uh, the traditional path that I see when people bring on partners is, you know, one person will really enjoy doing the work. And then another person may really enjoy going out and getting business and another person may enjoy mentoring. And so partners are partnerships can kind of be built, you know, like that. And, and that's kind of a cool way of, 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 of how things can work. And it, it can actually work really well when people are complementing each other. And uh, I think the mistake that happens when partnerships are developing is people bring on others that aren't necessarily complementing their interests. So that's sort of the biggest, um, you know, mistake that I see. When you're a solo practitioner, you're, you're kind of operating a little bit in a bubble, um, which means it might be kind of hard to keep yourself motivated. And indeed, it, because you're not surrounded by other uh, lawyers, your skills might deteriorate as well. Am I right in saying that? I think a way to, to get around that or, or to, to compensate for that if you do have a solo practice and you're not bringing on anybody to work with you is to lean on 
your friends, honestly. I mean, you know, my husband does have the benefit of I, me also being a lawyer. Um, so <laughs> he does bounce things off of me from time to time. And even if it's, even if I'm loath to hear it every now and then, because <clears throat> I just don't want to engage on that level anymore as much as I used to. But um, he absolutely can talk to me about things and I'll help him brainstorm. Um, but he also, like all of our friends from law school, he'll talk to and he's got other solo practitioner friends that, he, that he'll talk to. Um, so even if you're not working directly with anybody, you know, don't forget that you you came through law school and you have a lot of lawyer friends that um, might very well be the kinds of people that are, are willing to engage with you on that stuff. So, you know, you don't have to be completely alone um, if you just take some steps to to kind of maintain your your network of of contacts that can that can kind of fill that space for you. And at the risk of belaboring this point about money that we were discuss- discussing earlier, I think it's maybe important to kind of underline this or concentrate on this a little bit more about the fact, and we've kind of touched on some of these things, that it's you're going to have to work harder probably for less money. Uh, you're going to have to ch- be chasing clients around to pay invoices, et cetera. Um, Harrison, can you talk a little bit about that, about uh, the money aspect of things, about kind of working harder for less money and being prepared for that when you're a solo practitioner? Right. Well, a lot of times, you know, the people that are coming that you're that you're working with, I mean, they realize that they, you know, that they can, you know, negotiate with you. Uh, you know, they'll they'll come to you, and I think like Bree Bree also said that uh, you need to be very careful about, uh, you know, choosing uh, the people that you work with. But you know, almost every solo that I know, I mean, one of the the biggest things that they look at is they they feel that a lot of what they're doing is is billing and collection. You know, you just need to constantly be able to uh, collect money from, you know, the people that you build uh, money to, and you need to, you know, have the ability to uh, get them to pay. And it's just, it's not always easy because, you know, one of the reasons that the benefits of working for a law firm typically is a law firm is working for, you know, companies that have, uh, you know, large budgets to spend on, uh, you know, on their law firms. And so it's not a big deal for them writing checks. And, but, you know, when you're working as a solo practitioner, a lot of times your clients are going to be smaller companies and, um, or individuals. And for them, uh, you know, your bills are going to be something that, that may not get prioritized. So I'd like to ask, and I'll just leave this open to anyone to jump in, about when is the best time to start a solo practice? We've kind of talked around this a little bit, um, especially and trying to identify the reasons why you would want to leave and strike out on your own. We talked about that. But for those people that are, are kind of on the fence right now, debating whether or not this is the right time, what advice would you give them? Like what criteria should they use to figure out whether or not they should strike on, on their own right now? Or, or maybe if they're making a mistake, maybe they're making an emotional decision just because they're particularly angry with a coworker or something at this point. Well, I think the, the right time to, st- to start a lot of times is going to be, um, you know, when, uh, you know, when you feel like you have the, the confidence to do so. So I think one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is they start their solo practices before they really understand what they're doing. Uh, you know, one of the benefits of working for a, a larger law firm is going to be that the law firm is going to train you and, and how to do the work. And then you're also going to learn, uh, you know, if you stick around long enough, how uh, other people bring in clients and you're going to learn uh, and you may even, you know, get, uh, you know, be able to network with a lot of people that can help you bring in clients. And so, uh, you know, or network with a lot of people that, you know, can could potentially be clients later or do work for clients that could become clients. So I, I think, you know, the, the longer you're practicing, um, the more, you know, benefit you're going to have a lot of times in terms of, um, 
you know, potentially working in the long run, and you know, as a solo practitioner, because you're gonna you're gonna learn um, a lot of skills. That said, uh, you know, most people tend to have the most fire in their belly and, and be hungers when they're in their 30s. So I would say, you know, doing that in your 30s is probably the best best time to do it. Uh, you know, after you've had maybe you know five, ten years of experience, uh, I don't think the right time is uh, necessarily, you know, a time out of desperation. I think it's something you need to plan, and I think you need to, um, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, how you would do it. Uh, it's not something you need to spend a ton of time doing, but it's something you need to spend enough time doing that. Uh, when you do it, you're going to be ready. Is there a particular practice area that is more amenable to um, starting a solo practice? Um, is there a, is there a particular a niche that you should um, consider or be, be or should be considered more uh, advantageous? Well, it depends if you're going to be, I think, consumer facing or if you're going to be um, working for a business. So, you know, the best con- the, like for litigators, like a good practice area has always been family law. Uh, you know, or uh, anything to do with personal injury. Uh, those are all, uh, you know, fairly good. I mean, people seem to like family law because you can charge, you know, hourly rates and that sort of thing. You know, corporate attorneys, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of work for corporate attorneys a lot of times with smaller uh, businesses, you know, sort of being their outside general counsel, uh, you know, and then, um, you know, tax, there's tax resolution or just tax, you know, tax business. I mean, patent law, you know, you can always start a small patent law firm. It's not, so almost every practice area, real estate, you know, working for people trying to get real estate deals done. I mean, almost every practice area, uh, you know, can be, um, you know, one where um, you can succeed at it if you do it right. But you need to understand, you know, you need to have a kind of a plan, like, you know, criminal law is a good one. You know, you can do uh, you know, DOIs and, uh, you know, all sorts of small things. A lot of times you can get appointed by the court. So there's always work out there for attorneys. You just need to understand and position yourself where to get it. Uh, but in my opinion, you know, the, the best practice area is something where you feel like you can, you can build a, a really good long-term career doing it. And, uh, and you need to, you know, really be aware of, uh, you know, the best, the, how you can, um, you know, the best way to, to build a, you know, a career. So, how, and you have to ask yourself, uh, you know, what am I going to enjoy doing and, and where's the, the most work going to be coming over the long term? Does anybody have any closing thoughts before we wrap things up uh, on this topic? Well, just to, to um, talking a little bit more about where to sort of start your practice. I do think it's important to start as Harrison said, like when you when to start is when you have confidence um, to strike out on your own and you know you could handle the work on your own. And I think that bleeds over into what you should be doing, right? So if you if you have a background in litigation, you should absolutely sort of start there. But I think what's what's great about starting your own firm, um, it is it's actually it's a really great thing to do. I think if you have a desire to an ability to like to learn and to keep learning and to learn new things. Um, I think the most successful solo practitioners are going to be pretty agile in what they are able to do. Um, Cause what it will, t- I think end up happening is that you'll get work in the kinds of practice areas that you kind of set out to do. So like my husband was a litigator. He set out with an idea that he'd be doing business litigation and that's still largely what he's doing. And that's really where, where he cut his teeth at the big firm doing that kind of work. But if you do excellent work, which you should always aim to do as a solo practitioner, which by the by is another reason not to take on 
too many cases where, you know, your work product will suffer because your work product is your marketing tool, right? So, you know, you want to make sure you're taking on the kinds of clients you can do excellent work for and, um, you know, have a really good result and have that that client become a referral source for you. Um, but what, what that then can happen is that client may be Come a referral source and they'll send you, they'll just sort of think of you top as mind as like, oh, I have a friend who needs a lawyer. I know a great lawyer. And that person who's giving you business is not necessarily going to be like, oh, is this exactly the metier of what this guy does? They just know that they trust you and that they feel comfortable sending you um, other clients to you. So you might end up getting, um, different kind of work that you don't have that much familiarity in. So I think that's, you can take that opportunity to become um, a more sort of across the board attorney, a more general practitioner attorney and do all sorts of other things. Or you can take that opportunity to kind of start to create some partnerships with um, other attorneys that are solo practitioners and maybe have a little referral circle back and forth together. But um, I think it's it's an interesting way that your career can develop away from where you started and what you're what you were really practicing when you're in a firm setting to be to be somebody who's in, encountering all sorts of issues and becoming um you know, more fully versed attorney. Like he's been doing a little bit of trust and estates work. He's been doing a little bit of transactional work. Um, anything that he feels confident and comfortable that he can fully learn. And that too is sort of what you get from waiting and learning well at the law firm. You learn how to be a lawyer and you learn how to figure out what you need to do to get it done properly and sort of know whether or not you you are capable of adequately providing legal services in a certain area. So um, it can be a very exciting time. And I, and I would just like to, like, as far as, you know, your own sort of um, professional satisfaction, um, I think if, if you're inclined to, to take this route, you'll, you'll be, you'll have, a, you can have a very happy career in life um, doing that. But I think you have to really be thoughtful of how you do it. Thanks everyone for making time. Thanks, Danny. That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. My thanks to Nadine Waybrecht, Bree Mills, and Harrison Barnes. If you're an attorney looking for a change, go to bcgsearch.com. 